So the moral of the story is you don't know when your stripper friend and your barista friend are going to talk to each other, so you need to watch what you say. You're insane. It happened. It's the weirdest. I know. It's the and you weirdest just like thing in the repeating world. It. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's crazy. I don't know how it happened, but it just did. True story. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 154 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of my movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. We begin today with an apology and an explanation. This will be a shorter episode without the sort of bells and whistles that you're used to, and it arrives later than I would have liked. Um, one part of that comes down to the movie studios and even the indie divisions that have been offering us as moviegoers this winter a big fat nothing. Another part of this comes down to real life getting a little bit more crazy and intense in recent weeks, but that's another story. So we're trying to get the machine back up to speed, and it begins today with a quick dose of podcasting goodness on a decent film with a great friend. It is with great pride and tremendous thanks that I welcome today's guest, um, someone I didn't know all that well until her first appearance on episode 21, where we talked about the town, and she's gone on to become an occasional contributor to the site, and more importantly, one of the very best friends I have. She is the co-host <laughs> of the Real Insight Podcast, a show you can find at realinsight.podomatic.com. We are across a wire to Hilton Head, South Carolina, and we welcome the vacationing Jess Rogers to the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Can't believe it turned around so fast. I, you know, and and not only that, but we have we have plans to bring you back on in the summer. It's it's kind of being that kind of that kind of stretch for me after going so long of keeping people like keeping the line moving and bringing on new people every week. It's it's kind of settled into this point where it's like, yeah, you know, I know these fifteen or twenty people can can come on, and and I think I'm I'm gonna stick with them for a little while. Seems reasonable to me. Yeah, and I mean, you gets know, good shows. It it does, you know. I, I know I've got chemistry with the guests that I bring on. I, it, you know, not only this, but we just we did a show back in October when you were uh, right when you were here for TIFF. Man, you're going to be on like three times inside September. of twelve months. You're right. That's crazy. That's a first. How how is the vacation going? By the way, you're you're almost done. You're you're flying out today. But it was it uh, was it everything you wanted it to be? Oh, it was awesome. I saw I think five movies. Oh my god. Um, walked on the beach. Oh, it was wonderful. What is the movie-going culture like in South Carolina as, as opposed to your, your home in upstate New York? Is it a little bit more plush, or is it <laughs> is it kind of the same no matter where you go? Well, there are three movie theaters that have more than five screens within 10 miles. And, and this is something I only realized for the first time on this trip, the um, clientele is mostly white-haired. <laughs> so there are very few... And children visiting those white hair. Right. Um, so there's either high quality sort of Oscar bait indie kinds of films or animated films. There's very few. There's literally the only one even remotely um, action based is I think London has fallen. And hmm. I know there's not a ton out, but this seems to be true every time we come, even when that's what's filling all the other cinemas. Wow. They don't bother here. Nobody huh. goes to see them. It's kind of cool. That that that's you know that, that's a good thing. Uh, sometimes that can be a bad thing. Like, was it you telling me about the woman in the van? Yes. Yeah, and and that's not so good, right? It's another one, and I'm sure we'll, I'll mention this later. It's another one where they marketed it a certain way. It's not what you. It's not. It's not the Dowager Countess. It's a mm. different acting. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, like. I, 
I guess at the end of the day, though, you're you've got way more options than you would at home, and it sounds like you've got so some many. quality options too, because a lot of the stuff, oh, yeah. that you, like a lot of the stuff that you're catching up with there, didn't play didn't play around the university. No, not at all. Didn't play anywhere nearby. Some of it played for maybe a week, mm. and so if that week was not good for you, you couldn't see it at home. Whereas some of these have been here three weeks. The big short still in theaters. I saw that in a big theater by accident back in December. Um, all kinds of things. They just let things sit longer. People are more willing to see it. There's a lot more tourist turnover, so they're not playing to the exact same audience all the time. Um, How did you and see got a movie by accident? Theater. Oh, I happened to be in a town that had a big theater, and I went to the movies. <laughs> I think we're stretching the bounds of by accident, but okay. Um, well, there... well, I didn't go to the town to see the movie. I just happened to be in the town, and I had three hours to kill. I see. Oh, okay, okay. Now, now I catch it. Yeah. Well, we will get to um, this episode's new slang. We are going with um, a movie that's been out for a week or so um, that stars Tina Fey. It is Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot was directed by Glenn Ficarra and John Reckla. It was written by Robert Carlock, based on the book by Kim Barker. It stars Tina Fey, Ro- uh, Margot Robbie, Martin Freeman, Billy Bob Thornton, Alfred Molina, Chris Abbott, and Stephen Peacock. Back in 2003, America was waist-deep in its operations in Afghanistan when the powers that be turned their attention to Iraq as well. The unexpected effect was that the media outlets found themselves short on bodies to go to the front lines and cover what was happening both in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's under these circumstances that we meet Kim Barker, an American working for a news outlet as a low-profile, behind-the-scenes journalist, and generally going nowhere fast. Her news bureau dispatches her to Kabul, where she and her orange backpack have to learn quick, find her place in a scene of expats and colleagues, and try to do a little life-threatening job she's not completely qualified to do. When it comes to tales of life in the media, my brain tends to go to the same place, and that is that the media is supposed to tell the story, not become the story. Every once in a while, though, an exception must be made. So, pop quiz hotshot. Does Whiskey Tango Foxtrot pass the sniff test? Does it do a good enough job of telling the story behind the story? I would argue that it does. I think it sets up enough of a commentary on the war itself, which we've heard so many times and in more more direct ways. But it does, it leaves new commentary on the story as well. And then it tells the story of what it's like to tell the story. I thought it did. It, it's kind of crazy because I feel like we are even deeper into the problem that this movie really wants us to remember, which is forgetting about Afghanistan. Um, you right. know, the, the movie comes up, we'll, we'll come back to this point in a little while, but it, it brings the point back that um, every, once, once America went to Iraq, Afghanistan got forgotten very, very quickly um, to the point where like, you know, the the general public was kind of confused as to who they were fighting and why when you when you had polls back in 2004 2005 2006 people believed that Iraq was was responsible for 9/11 um, right. which you know let's be clear Afghanistan themselves weren't either but the people who were just happened to be there and 
since then, like it's it's 2016 now, and I feel like since then we've forgotten about Afghanistan even more. Like you know, missions yeah. have, missions have ended, so there, there's that. So we you know we do have to move on at some stage, but all the same, the the stories that happen there, the the very real um, dangers that now exist now that forces have um, pulled back from Afghanistan. Um, I think that is all important, but there were a lot of moments where I wasn't entirely sure that this movie went far enough, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think the I think the biggest problem with this movie, and I sense it'll also it has two sides. So the people who wanted it to be a really strong critique of. Um, the war and what was going on and how we forgot about Afghanistan and continue to sort of a pointed satire of what the heck we did are going to be disappointed because I don't think it goes far enough with that. No. But I don't think it has to. And then the people who are expecting baby mama or sisters or 30 Rock are also going to be disappointed because Tina Fey doesn't really do any of those characters. She actually is acting. Yeah, and that's the thing. Actually, is we were we talked uh, yesterday about um, about Tina Fey in this movie, and that was probably the thing that I liked about it the most. Is oh yeah, she, she well like she is really good in this movie. We should say full stop. Tina Fey is fantastic oh, yeah. in this movie. She's really good, and it gives her kind of a chance to do a little bit more. I feel like um and, and and she she writes this, so I feel like she plays as much a hand in it as anything. I feel like she's always playing versions of herself. Like she's always playing kind of versions of Liz Lemon. A little bit, yeah. Which is fine, except I I feel like she's the kind of uh the kind of actor and the kind of comedian um and the kind of writer because she writes a lot of this stuff. She didn't do a whole lot of writing when it came to Whis- Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. But I feel like she has more to offer. I remember um, we were watching Mean Girls the other day, and there's right. a scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a scene in the late going where she kind of has to address like the entire population of the the girls, and she talks about you know their attitude towards one another. And that was, I think, for me, the first time that I really noticed the kind of clout and weight that Tina Fey had in her. And I feel like I I want more of I want more of that. Yeah. Um, um, I kept thinking this was, it's not exactly because it comes across a little different. Um, I wanted it to be when Jim Carrey be, did Man in the Moon, but yeah. it's not that kind of a movie, number one. It's more what Jim Carrey did in The Truman Show. Yeah. That he's much closer to being the comedian. He does have those moments where he's being silly and ridiculous when he draws the face on the mirror and goes to the moon. <laughs> um, but... And she has that when she's doing her commentary on her looks, which she does universally and commentary on women's looks and how they're judged. She held on to all of those pieces of her as a comedian. And then she did a little more. Yeah, I it's, it, you know, you're, ta- you're talking about looks. The thing that I thought was was kind of interesting about this movie, and, and it's probably very true, is the mm-hmm. whole idea of being a ten in Kabul. Ask a favor, Kim. Absolutely, feel free to say no. Yeah, sure. I hate to even bring it up. I feel so rude even asking this. No, it's fine. Can I have sex with your security guys? Oh, by all means. Don't just say that to be polite. No, I wouldn't. I'm not. It's... Even Nick? That's no, that would never happen. So you're good. Hey, no, Kim, don't say that. You could have Nick. 
In Afghanistan, you're a serious piece of ass. Thank you. That, oh, that's nice. Because you're what? I mean, you're like seven, six, seven in New York? Here? You're a nine. Borderline ten. What are you here, like a 15? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a four and a four or six everywhere else, depending on who's well, insulting her. It, yeah, like, yeah, she's <laughs> she's from New York City, which is kind of an ecosystem unto itself, which mar- like it rivals Rome and Los Angeles and Paris as like, you know, the sure. highest standard of people where people like you and I are like fours, right? Yeah, but, we don't really rate. No, no. no. I, I, you know, I, I have art... to get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stand aside, please. The, the real people are coming through. Um, yes. But, you know, like there, there's a TV show called Hot in Cleveland. And I think, again, going back to 30 Rock, they even use that. They're like, <laughs> right. you know, the, she, she held up a picture. She's like, I'm, I'm a model in Cleveland. So Margot Robbie is talking to her at the beginning of this movie. And um, talks about how, yeah, in New York, she's like a four or a five, but in Kabul, she's a nine and a half or probably a ten. It's 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 a crazy thought. Um, and, and it's even crazier, of course, when you get it from somebody like Margot Robbie, who's like, yeah, yeah. really? Who's a 15? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? I'm a 15. Um, as, <laughs> as the other reporter, uh, Tanya Vanderpool <clears throat> Um, like, was that, I think that was played, like, just well enough. They don't really harp on that, but they come back to it in in a neat little way, I think. They came back to it twice, so that it, I feel like that was just enough to make it a universally understood truth, and not a horrible commentary on women. Right. I think, actually, if anything, it's more a commentary on the situation, right? Like you get, yeah. all these, you get all these expats and these journalists together, and it's not like they're not going to conjugate. It's, right, and, and it's not um, and it's not a country that makes it easy or welcoming for women, which I thought they did a lot of really good sort of minor commentary on that, making sure she had her headscarf in the right places and at the right time, and when those were needed. And instead of, they also mentioned the concept of her being a 10 and she's going to sleep around and they ask permission to sleep with each other's security teams. Like there are weird rules that are making you really clear that you're in a different place, Which, that you're somewhere that it's going to come out differently. Yeah. And, the, and, and it all like that end of it all worked really, really well. The, the idea of the, um, you know, the dynamics of this group and how they, you know, how they interrelate. Like, I thought that part all worked really well. I think, yeah. if, if anything, where I found it coming up a little short was um, there's a great scene in the late going where she's talking to the head of her security detail um, after she's just somewhat recklessly put herself in harm's oh, way. Yeah. And the head of her detail describes Fahim. Fahim, thank you, describes chasing the high. Right. Like yeah. he, he describes he, he uses the analogy that Afghanistan is the lead export of opiates in the world. And he says, you know, it's not always a drug that you're addicted to. Sometimes you're addicted to a rush and there are soldiers who are addicted to a rush and there are also journalists addicted to a rush. But I don't know that they went far enough down that rabbit hole because he, he hands that over and then it's kind of dropped. Right. It. It sort of colors how you see the rest of the movie. Like, you stop looking at her um, attempt to do more 
successful things and compete with the other journalists as a furthering of her career, but rather a furthering of her addiction in some respects. I don't, I don't think it changed how she behaved until the very end, but I think it changed how I watched the movie when he was pointing it out. Yeah. I thought it worked well. Oh, well, yeah, it, like it, it certainly changed how I watched the movie, but I, I it's kind of funny because at that point, I, I didn't really, like, it, I, it didn't check her too much of what she was doing or what she had done. Certainly what she had done. There were one or two times where she was really yeah. reckless. Um, but after that, it kind of, it got abandoned. Um, if anything, um, Margot Robbie and Martin Freeman both kind of do that and put themselves in harm's way, but they both seem to be actually chasing a proper, a proper job as opposed to chasing a high. I don't know. I think that's the point that they were equating the two. Oh yeah. That- in this situation, they are the one and the same. That it's not seeking these stories um, and putting it... Basically, the only way to get a story is what one of the other things they were commenting on is to see somebody get blown up. Or she, Margot Robbie basically is rewarded by happening to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and having somebody she was worth die. Yeah. And she gets a promotion. <laughs> and yeah. So you are equating these highs of this was amazing, I can't believe this happened, to career success. And that's kind of messed up. And I think that's what the movie was trying to comment on. Yeah. I don't think it did it perfectly, but I thought it touched upon it yeah, without it, offending. Yeah, it, it, it touched there and I feel like uh, you know a slightly defter hand um, might have got it. A little bit clearer. Uh, everybody involved with this movie is generally a, a team that does comedies, with, a, with the exception of right. the actual Kim Barker who wrote the book. Um, <laughs> right. And like that's the funny thing. This movie is, it's kind of sold as a comedy, and there are funny things in it, but it's really not. Sure. Right. No, I agree. It's not. Um, and for me, that's easily my biggest problem with these kinds of movies is sell this movie as it is. This is a good movie for what it's trying to do. It's not a bad, bad comedy (laughs) in that it's not funny enough to be a straight up comedy. They're not they're not making fun of all the things that the commercials make it look like they're making fun of. She's not incompetent. No, she's naive, but she's not incompetent. No. Yeah. There's a few moments where we can see she's in over her head. Oh yeah. Um, the, her the first time that she goes on camera to do an interview, she, she's not even on camera. But the first time that she's she does a an an interview, her hair is just whipping around like crazy because the, yeah. it's out in the desert and the wind does that. And even I know I'm like, how in the world did you get out that far without an elastic? Right. Exactly. Y- you know, there are those things, and she so she's naive but not incompetent in what she's doing no she's not she knows how to set up the camera work and all that stuff and where to get the interviews and she, she knows seems how to follow know... a lead yeah exactly that's a good point yeah like, um, there's there's some great moments where we actually see her doing the math like as things are happening there's a scene involving there's a, a recurring scene involving a village and their well getting blown up right and eventually kim puts two and two together and is able to follow the breadcrumbs and figure out what's going on and not only report on what's going on, but hand that information over to the U S military Military. about what's happening. And first of all, I thought it was really awesome what they actually, like what, what, what was happening, but it's, it's a moment like that where you, where you do see just how professional she is. 
And I think it was something the movie was trying to comment on towards the war. And it feels the, the movie does a good job of not slamming you with these. But once you start putting them all together, you realize how many mistakes we've made in as a, a I don't know, a perpetrator of war. How do you describe it anymore? As, um, the, as the aggressor? Yeah, as the aggressor. Like the cultural... Um, lack of any experience the um just blanket oh we know what's best we know what's going on when we have no cultural sensitivity to what's going on and she they there's a couple of those places where it drops it in but basically how she manages to turn things around right at the end that's a culturally sensitive moment that wouldn't really work in any other country well any western country by any stretch no but it worked perfectly there and she knew that and I think she shows these kinds of sensitivities and demonstrates that as a military, we don't demonstrate no. those sensitivities. And that's part of why we don't win hearts and minds. No, we like, you know, we we've gone, unfortunately, a very long time without thinking about how we're going to leave. And it's one yeah, of those yeah. telling stories that when World War Two broke out, there were mm-hmm. there were strategies on how they how the allies were going to exit uh, Eastern Europe happening years before the actual end of that war happened. Right. And now True. it's now it's like, well, okay, that's done. Now how do we leave? You know, it's True. It's, it's a crazy, crazy thought. Martin Freeman is in this movie uh, as Ian, a Scottish photographer who um, both is is kind of a pillar in this group that uh, that Kim happens to find herself in the middle of and kind of strikes up a, a romance with Kim. Yeah, like, I, you like Freeman, I'm pretty sure. I do. <laughs> and uh, what did you think of him in this movie? I thought he did really well. He had me thinking, is he actually Scottish? He was doing the accent strong enough and understandable enough, which I appreciated, um, <laughs> to be believable. But he was throwing in the bits and pieces here and there to stand up as a stronger character. Like he does the meek and mild um, Watson and Bilbo very well. But I liked being able to see him sort of as a, I don't know, a wanker. He, he's described early on as not someone to get involved with. As a bad, I don't know, a sleep around kind of guy in, co- in the cabubble. Yeah, which I like to keep choosing. Yeah, I got, like, I got to admit, that actually kind of left me wanting a bit of a prequel to see what was happening with Tanya and Ian before Kim ever showed up. Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he, he, he acts kind of like just roguish enough to think you get a few drinks in him and and he'll be bad news but at the same time he's pretty much good to everybody around him almost from the get-go right i was like wait why why are we not supposed to trust him what's happening Um, i think i think it was the idea you're not supposed to trust him because he will get you drunk and bad things might happen (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah that's a good that is a good point um but I, yeah, I, I dug him in general, like anytime Martin Freeman shows up in anything, um, I tend to be excited. He's, yeah. you know, we haven't talked about him either, but he's another reason why I'm excited about Civil War because he's oh, there in you it. go. Yeah, there we go. Um, but I, I, I liked his chemistry with Kim. Um, yeah, there, there's a cute little uh, recurring joke about him brushing his teeth like while she's sleeping. <laughs> and I, I, I thought that was a great little, you know, continuing runner throughout the movie and actually they they have fun flipping it towards the end um, right but it's, it's stuff like that and and how he does balance the professional concern for what she's doing because there's more than one occasion where he has to lend a hand and help out with the like personal connection between the two 
Mm-hmm. I was at the gym after work one night and a stationary bike. Okay, same bike every day. And I noticed this indentation in the carpet. It's like a foot in front of my bike. And I realized that it's from where my bike used to be. I have done thousands of miles on this bike. And I have gone backwards. I have literally gone backwards. I just, just wanted to blow everything up. I just wanted out of my job. Just, I couldn't look at that carpet anymore. Well, that is officially the most American white lady story I've ever heard. Shut Their up. relationship does sort of show what's going on in this Kabul um, investigative journalism type bubble they're in. That at one point he has to decide whether to go meet her and pursue their relationship another step or follow a really good lead. And he chooses the lead. And then later, they don't actually fight about it per se, which is also telling. But he says she would have done the same thing. And we all know she would have, including she, her, uh, Kim. Yeah, that's the. Th- I think that was one of the things I thought the movie did really well, was addressing the idea of your personal desire as opposed to your professional um ambitions and especially when it comes to journalism because the story will not wait that's the thing right we can you know we can get we can get very very deep into what you how you balance your personal life versus your professional life but for most jobs unless you're some sort of a first responder the job can wait yeah if you're a journalist the story's not going to stop. The story's going to happen as it happens, and you have to oh, make God, that decision. Oh, God, it's getting faster and faster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. If you're if you're not there when it happens, sometimes you're already screwed. I feel like it did that just well enough, and, and you know, I might be wanting a different movie if I say I wanted more of that. I think like, you've got spotlight for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, we do end every review on the matinee cast with the souvenir, um, something tangible or intangible that if you could take away from a movie and keep, you would. Uh, Jess Rogers, what would you keep from Whiskey Tango Foxtrot? Well, since I listened to your show and I never quite understood the concept of the souvenir in terms of takeaway for some of the movies that you've talked about or that I've watched. But um, the way I think about it is what would I, if I had to go back and rewatch one scene, what would I go back and rewatch? Yeah, yeah. Uh, immediately after having seen it. So it's the scene very near the end where she has to say goodbye to Fahim at the airport. Maybe not quite all the way at the end, but essentially she has to say goodbye to Fahim at the airport. Okay. Well, they're in a Muslim country. You can feel she wants to go in and hug him, but she knows that he will react poorly. They'll be, they could be hurt. And in fact, um, there's a couple of points in the movie where they talk about it. And so the camera just looks at them and they kind of just stare at each other and smile and then he hands her his her bag, and just the the edge of their fingers touch as they're handing it. But it doesn't even linger, which would have been too melodramatic because they are just friends. But you feel like they need to hug, and that that it's complete. And yet that moment still works. You can feel that their friendship has sort of resolved, and he's forgiven her for what she's doing, and that he thinks she's doing the doing the right thing. It's just such a sweet little moment, and I just love the way they shot it, going back and forth between their eyes. They're not doing these big, goofy grins. They're just sort of 
acknowledging a friendship well lived. I like that. No, that's that's a good one. You know, like saying goodbye when you can't properly say goodbye. That's you know, I, I think I think more than one of us have been there. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm taking something tangible, and this is this is a different one for me because it it plays right to my my interests. Um, I want Ian's camera gear. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of cool toys that people probably don't notice, but I did. And I'm like, Oh sure. man, that is an expensive camera. Um, and he's, you know, he's just sitting in his lounge chair playing with his Leica camera while, you know, <laughs> things are going on around him. He's half drunk at the time. Um, I don't necessarily want to go to a war front to do it, but I would love to have a lot of those toys that he has in his camera bag because they're so much fun. Um, we do rate on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jess Rogers, what do you give Whiskey Tango Foxtrot? I would give it a very generous three. Like, it's a little more than a three, but not quite a three and a half. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I believe that's about where I landed as well. Um, perhaps even like down to a two and a half. It's the thing is I, I, I have trouble divorcing myself from the movie. It could have been from right. what, I, what I wager Kim Barker's book is and what her experience was. I enjoyed myself and I, I could recommend it to a lot of people who just want to have a decent afternoon at the movies. But oh, I, definitely, I feel like it could have been more. I, d- I agree. And the way I kind of think of it is, would I pay to go see this and be okay with that? Or is it something I really just need to rent and sit on the couch? And I would pay to go see it. Yeah, I didn't feel I wouldn't walk off. away. Right. I wouldn't walk away going, oh, that's the best movie I ever saw. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, that's fair. So we're not going to do the other side on this episode because um, <laughs> Dr. Rogers has a plane to catch, but we will talk about some um, some further reading, some other things that people could watch or, or experience um, after seeing Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, or perhaps instead of. Um, you had one that came to mind uh, kind of quickly, no? I actually had two that came to mind really quickly. Okay. One's a film and one's a book. Sure. I don't know if, you, if two's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first one is a movie that if you wanted to watch, I would recommend watching it before because it makes an interesting prequel to this. And that's Charlie Wilson's War. Um, oh, shit. I forgot about that. <laughs> there's a lot that's not great about that movie, but there's so much that if you need if you grew up in the 80s and were clearly oblivious to the 80s, it makes so much sense. Like figuring out why the Russians invaded Afghanistan, what was going on. And then how the U.S. got themselves so embroiled in the shitstorm that create, was created by all of that, it does a great job of that. It looks at, inside the CIA, why we were involved in these kinds of things. And then you get um, Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks flirting, and it's not a great guy who got all this done, but I don't know. History is rarely made by great people. And you have um, um, Phil Seymour Hoffman doing an uh, amazing job in that movie. Such a great job. So if you need a little retrospective, and Amy Adams actually holds her own pushing the Uh, envelope on some pieces of it. (laughs) Um, There's a lot to really like in that. And it really sets up what the heck's going on in Afghanistan in a movie kind of way. So I I think it's a really great prequel. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw it? 
Oh, geez. Probably the year it came out. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've seen it since. There are Time moments from it that are etched into my brain. Most, yeah. most notoriously is uh, Seymour Hoffman's final monologue where he tells the parable of the um, – he tells the parable it's, – it's like um, a monk or a town elder. Yeah. Um, who every time something happens to there, – there's a child in a village – who, right. you know, he gets something and everybody says, how wonderful. And the elder says, we'll see. And then right. he, the, that thing, that gift that he gets ends up hurting him. And everybody in the town says, how terrible. And the elder says, we'll see. It's, 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 a, it's a really, really great parable that I'm not nearly doing justice enough. And the whole movie is worth it, if nothing else, just for that scene. That's really good. And the idea that... It, it's willing to point a finger. I'm okay with a movie giving me a direction, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. But it builds up to this moment where Tom Hanks is basically prophesizing. Like, he's he's a prophet to what actually came to pass. Yeah. That because we cut off the funding to Afghanistan, because we decided to pull back, it wasn't our war, we'd gotten the Russians out, that's what our goal was. And he's saying, if we don't build the schools, if we don't build these other things, they're going to go to the madrasas. They're going to let the religious and fanatical element take over. And that's what happened. And yeah. then they have this one moment where you see Osama bin Laden and it's like, well, I guess we did do most of this to ourselves. There you go. What's the book? Uh, it's that you perfect. Had a, what's the book that you had in mind? Whiskey Tango Foxtrot ends um, where she's talking to a soldier that she met when she was first interviewing. Oh, right. And um, he had gone through the war, and she's talking to him after the fact. And he basically says that what she did was not the reason he was injured. All of these things. She, he's kind of forgiving her, but he's also saying there's nothing to forgive. Oh, yeah. It, it wasn't you. You weren't the one who shot me. You're not the one who caused these problems. Yeah. And there's a moment that made me really think of Billy Lynn's halftime walk, long halftime walk by, um, it's not, is it Ben Franklin or Tom Franklin? Go Um, go on while I look that up. Okay, thank you. And so Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, he's part of a group of soldiers who basically conquered the mountaintop somewhere in Afghanistan or Iraq, and they come back, and they're being feted all over the country. They're celebrated very much in the way that you used to think of World War II or Captain America goes around celebrating the war. Um, And he's struggling with this. He's struggling with what happened, with all this attention. And then at the end, they're part of the a big football Thanksgiving Day football halftime show. And he's trying to say, I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything. And someone died. And that really made me think of, I know you didn't care for the book as much as I did, but um, I thought it really spoke to that moment of, we are, they aren't the people who shot you. It's not supposed to be something you're celebrated for. It was our job. It was something we did um, because we were told to do, and it's something we'd do again. Ben Fountain is the author. Ben Fountain, not Franklin. Um, so that's why I always got confused. Yeah, I, I remember, I I think I might have even read that on your suggestion. And I liked it. I didn't love it. But th- what you're talking about was what I loved the most, actually. That, that core concept of yeah. we call these people heroes and they call themselves just somebody doing a job, right? Like they, they right. sometimes they're, they refer to it as let's go earn our money today. Um, and, and it's, that's a really good one because it deals a lot with, um, from the soldier's perspective. Cause they don't, you know, they, and understandably so they don't talk about what happens. 
Um, right. So it's it's really really hard to get into that kind of mindset, and I think that does a pretty good job of it. Um, I remember I've read a few short um, articles and essays written by soldiers sometimes, and that is usually the most fascinating part to see justification and um, and how they are able to compartmentalize what they are doing because right. on paper what they're doing is insane, but at the same time it's something that you know in recorded history has always happened so you have to find a way to justify it and how they do it is fascinating and i think the link to the movie for me is the same idea of she's seeking this high but she's not creating these things she's not creating these bad things and there's a moment in the movie where it talks about um it's hard to get afghanistan on the news because nobody cares nobody wants to be depressed yeah, and, and essentially she's struggling with that. Meanwhile, with... in a way that kind of um, occur, like kind of links back to the book you're talking about, you have to sit through ten minutes of military tinged pregame before the Super Bowl. Right. So everybody wants to bring out the big, great big flags and bring out the veterans and you know cheer for them, but they don't really want to watch the news. Right. Exactly. They don't want to be reminded of these things that are going on. And there's an element of, well, we're not going to make these things happen just to report them. And I think that's one of the things WTF did a good job of trying to show that there's more to what's going on. There's the stories of what's going on with women. There's the stories of funding the schools or not funding the schools or building the bridges that should be reported and just aren't. Yeah. Uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, by the way, is going to be a film later on this year, right. if anybody's curious, um, with Vin Diesel and Kristen Stewart, um, directed by Ang Lee. It's his first movie since Life of Pi. Um, awesome. So if you uh, if you don't want to turn a few pages and you just want the movie uh, shown to you, not told to you, um, in November, <laughs> do check that out. And uh, It's and a have... terrific audiobook too. Oh, cool. I, I happen to listen to it instead of read it. The two movies that came to mind for me, and I'm going to only touch on them kind of quickly because we're a little short on time, is one of them was Three Kings, which yeah. looks at the first conflict in Iraq, which was radically different from the second yep. conflict in Iraq. And I feel like that's a movie that deserves rewatch because, you know, first of all, that was 25 years ago. And I believe a lot of people have forgot what happened, how it happened, and it's weird and surreal effect on the soldiers that were there. Um, it's another one that, that brings in the media, but but they're just one part of the story. Right. So um, it's a David O. Russell movie back when he was doing uh, kookier things than, uh, than the rom-coms <laughs> that he does now um, with George Clooney and Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg. And it's really, really incredible movie. Um, that's a different kind of war film. And if you've never seen Three Kings, I can't recommend that one highly enough. The other one that came it to It does mind... a great job. It does a great job showing that there's there's always more to war than... What we see. The, yeah, than the fantasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other one that came to mind, and I think it came up in the last episode when Tula was telling me about WTF in the first place... And, you know, I, I this is terrible, I, I gotta admit, but it was part of where my brain went, um, is this movie kind of stands in stark contrast to Eat, Pray, Love. In the, <laughs> in the concept that you have, both movies, you have a woman who is not completely content with the state of their life and feels a need to blow it up, uh, including yep, a relationship, true. and feels a need to blow it all up. 
And on the one hand, I feel like what Tina Fey did was far more noble and uh, not not noble is not the word I'm looking for, but far a far better approach. To, far more practical. To, yeah, for, thank you. Yeah, it's it's much more pragmatic a way yes. to blow up your life than to just travel and find yourself because it's just to leave your life. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, as romantic as I find going and finding yourself in food, spirituality and romance, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little head scratching once you get past like 30. Um, (laughs) so, you know, and and I just happened to see Eat, Pray, Love for the first time a few weeks ago. I know that that's a, that's another book that has like a huge following. Yeah. I like the movie better actually. Really? Yeah. What does the movie do that the book didn't? The movie does... So the, my biggest thing... So India... I'm sorry. Italy, you get to see the food. Mm-hmm. So that's always a little better than just having the food described. And the biggest thing is in India. And maybe this is just a pet peeve of mine. But instead of um, watching her struggle with meditation, you actually have to listen to her meditative thoughts. It's like ah. somebody telling you about their dreams. You don't care. And it doesn't make any sense anyway. <laughs> um, so they do that a lot in the book. And in the movie, you got you kind of see her struggling with it, but you don't have to hear her in her monologue. I see. Um, well, there. We, so there we go. According to Jess, watch the movie, don't read the book. And according to me... Well, just, the book's fine. According to me, just watch the Italy part and salivate over the food and then go for dinner. <laughs> That's episode 154 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back on Monday, March 28th for episode 155. The format is going to be slightly similar to this. Um, it's it's going to be one of these ones that we record on the scene. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what we're talking about just yet, but um, I am looking forward to it um, and looking forward to sitting down with my guest again. Uh, Jess, of course, can be found on the Real Insight podcast. Your next episode is going to drop the beginning of uh, April. Mark, uh, April. Yep, April what, 1st. Uh, what year are you guys doing? I do not recall. <laughs> <laughs> but I will have to listen to the end of my last show to find out. There we go. Um, <laughs> and if people want to find you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, I'm at in underscore entertain because once upon a time I had a blog that was insight into entertainment. Yes, you did. And we all miss it. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Pocket Cast, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Whiskey Tango Foxtrot can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, or I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts before I let you go catch your flight? Um, sorry if I swore. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. That movie's got it right in the title. The well, WTF you know, thing. You're, I think you're, it, you're on vacation. The, the booze yeah. is flowing. You're going and seeing movies that are playing that you're not used to at home. It's like it's you're in Vegas, really, but in South Carolina. It's almost instead. that, except I'm surrounded by white hairs and enjoying myself. <laughs> awesome. For Jess, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.